Make sure to check out the video version of this podcast at youtube.com slash gameofmicrophones. See everything you're missing. through the long night. It's Game of Microphones. With Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan. Valar Morgolas. Seven blessings, soaring sky pirates and hungry fire breathers, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan the Fearsome, Ripper and Chewer. And I'm Lord Zach, the one sapphire-eyed prankster prince. Ooh, and welcome to episode 131. On this episode, we're covering the House of the Dragon season finale. Episode 10, The Black Queen. And in case you're not already aware, this podcast is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen all previously aired episodes of both Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. If not, there's still time to be eaten alive by the gnashing jaws of a gargantuan winged reptilian. So you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Fear not, friends. If you haven't read Fire and Blood, which covers this period of the Targaryen reign, we will only be discussing events from the Dance of Dragons that have already come to pass on House of the Dragon, and we'll take caution not to spoil drama that's still to come on the show. And if you're enjoying our coverage of House of the Dragon and our complete series rewatch of Game of Thrones, which covers every episode in depth, Please consider taking the black and helping us to get out of the red by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash gompodcast or by making a one-time donation to help keep our show live at paypal.me slash gompodcast. You can also support us without spending any extra silver stags by clicking on our Amazon affiliate link located in this podcast's description and at the bottom of gameofmicrophones.com for your online shopping. It costs you nothing and we'll get a little kickback from Amazon for sending you their way. Thanks. And without any further ado, let's get into our coverage of House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 10, The Finale, The Black Queen. All right. Season finale. What'd you think overall? Wow, man. Really good. Really strong episode. Um, man, what a cliffhanger for who knows how long, probably two years. Um, maybe <laughs> not quite. I, that's the, I'm just going to put that in my mind that way. If it's two years, I'm not disappointed. Yeah. You know, if, it's more than, <laughs> if it's much more than two years, I, I am, I will be disappointed, but maybe they'll get it out like next 
like the end of next fall or, you know, in, during the holidays <laughs> next year. Probably not. But that's why I'm saying two years. Yeah. But um, who knows? Or maybe early, early spring, like January, February of 24 instead of the summer of 24 or the fall of 24. You think they'd change the uh, season that they release it in or you think they'd go for beginning of fall again, end of summer? Yeah, I don't know. They're, yeah, they may be trying. They may try to either do, you know, the old Game of Thrones spring slot, True. you know, March through May to kind of get the old May sweep, sweep, you know, kind of the end for the end of the. That would make sense. And it depends on what rings, depends on if they want to go directly against rings of power again or if they want to do their own thing or just they release it when they release it, irrespective of you know, the other fantasy shows, you know, Witcher, Will of Time, Rings of Power, or, you know, whatever else is coming out. Last of Us, you know, I assume is going to come out, you know, next year. So it probably won't compete with season two of Last of Us. Not that that's really fantasy, but it's kind of zombie apocalypse. But anyway, a lot of the same <laughs> viewer crossover viewers, you know, between the those genres. But man, um, I'm bummed to have to wait that long. But like we said in the live last night, it was, it'll be worth it and it'll be good when it comes out. And man, season two is going to be like madness. I bet. Yeah. It's going to start off with just boom. We're, you know, here we go. Luke just died and war. Yeah. Season one has been sort of like a slow exponential curve where we're slowly yeah. building speed. And then now towards the end, it's starting to ramp up and up and up and up faster and faster. And so if we follow that same acceleration curve, Season two is going to be crazy, dude. Like we'll be like Elon Musk's, you know, Falcon rocket. <laughs> Straight <laughs> yeah. up, maybe competing the with the, uh, Jeff Bezos's Amazon rings of power rocket that's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> flopping over. Crashes, crashes on the launch pad. The 38% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Really? Is it that low? Dang. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I can't really talk shit personally, but. You know, I'm yeah, just yeah. I'm just making jokes because House of the Dragon is so good, you know. Yeah, yeah. They I've watched both and you know, I, I enjoy Rings of the Power for the most part. There are some issues, but it's if if Hot D is, you know, a nine point five or nine point eight, nine point nine, you know, nothing's perfect, but I'm a pretty easy critic too, I'll admit that. Rings <laughs> of Power is like it at its best, it's probably an eight or eight and a half. So it's just it's not it's just not this quite the same level of just the drama that just grips you. And yeah, and it could be that, but this, you know, writing wise and, you know, it's beautiful. It's well-produced the scenery and the middle earth part of the story is really good. But hot D is just, it's just hot got that D. extra, just that greatness factor that, you know, is no, I mean, writing, nothing else can, nothing, I mean, there's, you know, like my favorite shows ever, you know, like breaking bad, um, excellent show. I'm trying to think of, of other stuff, you know, Game of Thrones is, I mean, there's not, I mean, I, I like war stuff. So I like band of brothers and that sort of thing, but oh, that's yeah. kind of great. You know, show. Sub, but anyway, it's, there's just very few shows that are just absolutely at the very top above a 9.5 for me. Mm -hmm. So hot D is right there. Yeah. The writing on this show is really, really good. Lots of, intense drama between all the characters so many different dynamics going on you know what i mean yeah absolutely you know and there's been a few little things here and there but 
overall, you know, I think it's very well written. Uh, I guess the internet was kind of mad with Sarah Hess, who I think is like a producer and one of the main writers. I think she wrote, she got the credit for writing. I mean, there's a writer's room, so it's always a collaborative process, but I think she was the credited writer last week and people just didn't like book changes um, with Allison's main motivation being this misunderstood conversation between her and Viserys. Right. Uh, whereas the books just show her, I mean, again, it's the history book and, you know, it, how accurate are the history books, you know, is kind of an underlying theme to this whole series. But anyway, some people, and I, and I don't really like it either that they're softening Allison and they soften Rhaenyra too. Like, like the book, the history books show them as very like sharp, hardcore, you know, win cut through die. Absolutely cutthroat. And the show is softening that up some, you know, with some of these changes like they did with Amond and Vagar and uh, Luke and Arax this uh, this episode. But overall, but, but and then also, I think last week, HBO or Hot D, whoever announced that I think sh- that writer, Sarah Hess, got a contract extension or another year or something like that. And people were mad telling her, get her away from the song of ice and fire universe, you know, <laughs> you know, G O T C U get her, you know, ban her pen. And so I was like, I mean, I think those are real nitpicky fans, you know, talking about that sort of stuff. Cause overall the writing I think has been really good. And there's a lot that comes straight out of the book. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so this week's episode starts out with a close-up of the cool painted table, which ends up yeah. being a major feature of this episode. Definitely. I was kind of hoping, since this was the finale, I was kind of hoping for a cold open. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, I don't think, episode, the pilot didn't have an intro at all, you know, right. the title sequence. So it was a cold open because there was no title <laughs> sequence to run yeah. at the beginning. And I'm pretty sure By every episode default. since then has been no cold open, you know, straight from the HBO oh, straight into the dun, 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 straight into the title sequence. So yeah. I was kind of hoping for a since it was the finale and those were in the original series. They were very few and far between. Yeah, sparingly Obviously the, ret- the return of the hound, I think, is the most oh, yeah. well-known mm-hmm. cold open. Um, Definitely. But overall, I didn't get a cold open, but that's OK. We'll probably get one eventually. Maybe. Um, yeah. So the. The table is hinting that war is coming, war, because, um, you know, clearly war. the painted table, <laughs> war, <laughs> like Otto, yeah, clearly yeah. the painted table is a war map, probably a relic from Egon's conquest that he yeah, used to plan yeah. um, his, his takeover of the is. kingdoms. And, and the, the painted table is cold and dark and desolate, mm-hmm. you know, i.e., you know, peaceful. Oh yeah. Versus how it changes in the episode with flame underneath it. Lit up and active. And yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So cool. Obviously. So like flame and fire being war and there's obviously dragons here. So things are going to burn. Yeah. So the, (laughs) the realm, the realm, you know, under fire or under siege, so to speak at war versus at the beginning, we're still kind of in the, the end the of Viserys the peaceful. Yet. Exactly. <laughs> the We're at the war. end of Viserys the peaceful, his reign, and Jaehaerys before him. So the realm has kind of been cold and quiet this whole time. Yeah. And that's how the painted table 
appears to us at the beginning and it start. I think most places, most times we see it or the camera pans over it. It usually, I think starts in the North over as it, as it shows us the painted table mm-hmm. and kind of zooms, not say zooms, but pans down and show the rest of the, uh, of the continent. So it was pretty cool to see. And then Luke is standing there kind of fidgeting and toying with Driftmark. Yeah. And we know it's Driftmark because the table has, carvings written on it to label each area, which is cool. I don't know if we've gotten quite as detailed a view of that in the past, but we see it now and all the all the terrain and everything. Man, imagine how giant that tree must have been that they, <laughs> that they used to make the table out of. It's a huge piece of wood. <laughs> That's what she said. And, uh, <laughs> so, so I really liked this intro. And like you said, Luke is standing by Driftmark and he's, as he caresses it with his hand and it seems like he's contemplating his future as Lord of the Tides since we're in this sort of um, uh, purgatory with not knowing. It's like he's like um, Schrodinger's Corliss at this point. We don't know if he's alive or dead or <laughs> <laughs> we're waiting to find out more information about Corliss, but considering his health is at risk, this topic is obviously on the tip of Luke's mind and considering the whole um, scene that occurred at King's Landing with the questioning of the succession of Driftmark. So he's been contemplating what this means and what his responsibilities will be and he is not ready for it. Uh, Rhaenyra shows up and he's chilling in his cool little like half red, half black. I don't know if that's called. I don't think that would be a tunic. What would that what would that um, outfit yeah, be called? I'm not sure. George, I'm, George has like 60 different descriptions for different men's attire, waistcoats and tunics and uh, outer. Gr- uh, something with a G, I think. It, <laughs> I can't remember. But yeah, it's like it, an under. Yeah. Under Armour uh, type of thing, right? Right, yeah. This kind of like a, a quilted kind of woolen material that yeah, you could put plated armor over the top of it, and it's not going to like pinch and rash. You know, your armor is not going to you know yeah scrape against give you. you yeah rashes and choke you know hot points you know where it's going to cause pain and friction. Yeah, pretty um, cool. It was pretty. You know, it's kind of. You know, obviously it opened on Luke because he has a lot going on this episode and yeah. obviously ultimately meets his demise. They telegraphed it right from the start and I didn't notice. Yeah, they, um, he talks about, we're kind of going back to uh, Atlanta's funeral where Luke tells Corliss. Uh, I don't I don't to, which now, of course, was like Jon Snow. When he, I for, we didn't make the comparison at the time, but when he was told that oh, he would, would, was going to be king of the north. I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, that's why I've been saying it. I thought you got what I was saying uh, in that episode. Oh, no, I, was like, I, I missed do, it. I don't want it. <laughs> Just in the way I was saying, I didn't express it verbally, but I expressed it verbally. Yeah, I do yeah, want yeah. It. Um, totally. But and what he tells Corliss is, uh, I don't want to be Lord of Driftmark because that means everybody else is going to be dead. Yeah. But obviously, the reverse happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so brutal. Pretty, too soon, man. Sad. Too soon. Yeah. And so not yeah. only uh, will everybody be dead, but also he thinks, well, now it's happening so fast that not everybody's going to be dead. So he's like, oh, my God, this is all happening so quick. And he just like he doesn't think he's up to the task. As he points out, grandsire was the greatest sailor who ever lived. I can't be Lord of the Tides. I get green sick before the ship even leaves the harbor. I'll ruin everything. You're ruining everything. <laughs> 
this was this was Veyman's point. Team Veyman. No, not really. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a, this is exactly team. You can have a boy in command of the uh, Valerian fleet. Yeah, and I like the uh, the phrase "green sick." You know, that's kind of a cool way of saying seasick. Yeah. George mm-hmm. has a nice way of turning a phrase and uh, saying things differently than are said in our world with getting the point across. Uh, so that's pretty cool. He's like, I don't want Driftmark. I sh- it should have passed to Sir Vaymond, and it's too late for that now. <laughs> so Rhaenyra is trying to comfort him. You know, we don't choose our de- our destiny. It chooses us. And he points out that she was allowed a choice, um, at least initially. But once she was told the prophecy, it became less of a choice for her. But, it, you know, it's true. So many people throughout the history of Westeros, Westeros have uh, have chose to not take the, the the crown for themselves like Aemon, who ended up at the wall uh right he and a couple of his brothers chose not to be to take the crown he chose to be a maester um so it's funny some people are like really want the power and others people are like whoa 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 i don't want it like Aegon, who ended up being crowned he didn't he wanted nothing to do with it right, right. If, uh, if he had left the choice to him he would have just reneged the the opportunity and given the crown to his brother, which is probably probably may have been better <laughs> overall. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. Um, so he's like, you know, grand grandfather, grandsire, let you choose if you'd be his heir or not. And she's like, well, you want to know like more details about this? I, in truth, I was terrified. I was the same age as you, 14, and I wasn't ready. Uh, clearly, because she was more concentrated on being a, a harlot. <laughs> Tim Green, Tim Green, woo! And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, so she was terrified and it was her duty, but eventually she came to understand that she had to earn it, you know, especially probably since all the lords and everything want, didn't want her to be heir. She had to, she realized that she had to show them that she was worthy um, which, you know, arguably she didn't do a very good job at, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's funny. Luzk is like, well, I'm not like you. I'm not so perfect. <laughs> and she's like, ha! I am exactly. You know, she admits, she knows that she's far from perfect. And Clearly. this is just kind of the, the quintessential, you know, sweet, sweet child, you know, even at 14, that still has this, you know, view of their mother that, you know, she can do no wrong. She's been a loving mother. You know, she cares for them. She gives them what they need and, and, and more, but that, you know, kids for the most part, you know, don't see our faults. Um, yeah. And I mean, unless you're abusive or, you know, a twat, but, <laughs> but as a child is all, you know, a lot of times has this, you know, unrealistic view, you know, of their parents. Yeah. That, what's their you know, frame of the, reference, you know? Right. They're great. And they're the parent, their mom and dad are the greatest thing ever. Like, yeah, like you're, they're everything to them. And, but obviously in reality, you know, none of us are perfect and we've, you know, messed up and, you know, dropped them when they were babies and all kinds of different things. (laughs) And you still feel like a child in your mind anyway, you know, (laughs) like, right, right. Yeah. Sometimes. And it's, it was pretty cool for him to, for us to see his view of his mother is still that kind of sweet, innocent. Oh, mom's perfect. Yeah, that was a cute little moment. And her reaction was nice. She gave him the triple kiss and uh, was like, no, 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 sweetling. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> I'm anything but perfect. 
and she reassures him that my father, you know, her father looked at looked after her, helped her to prepare, and I will do the same for you. And this is when we get Sir Laurent Marbrand interrupting, and uh, this was the first time we get his name, uh, House Marbrand of Ashmark in the Westerlands. They're sworn to House Lannister. So that's a little bit of interesting stuff. It could be a conflict if House Lannister is, uh, you know, clearly going to be siding with the gr- the Greens. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> and uh, he informs them that Princess Renice has just arrived on Dragonback, and she urgently requests an audience with both Rhaenyra and Prince Daemon. And so at this point, the most logical assumption for a reason that Renice would be there with urgency for Rhaenyra is that there might be news of Lord Corlys. You know, they'd just seen Viserys two nights before, uh, or a couple days before, so they may not might not think that he's likely dead. And Rhaenys wouldn't be the messenger, most likely, in that case anyway. They'd send somebody else to inform her, because it's not Rhaenys's duty. And uh, and since they don't know Viserys is dead, there's no reason to suspect a green usurpation at this point, especially since Alicent had just said at dinner a couple nights ago that Rhaenyra will make a fine queen in their moment of reconnection. Beautiful moment. And uh, so she thanks him and Rhaenyse comes in and in the next scene to meet with both of them and uh, right on cue. Rhaenyra is asking about Lord Corlys and if they have news of his recovery. But before she can even finish the question, Rhaenyse just comes out with it. Viserys is dead, met with silence and shock. And Daemon looks over with concern, um, like a little bit of power hungriness in his eyes, maybe. But also the gears are turning about what this means and what they're going to have to do to secure the throne. And He's been anticipating this for a long time. Uh, and Renice is tells her that, you know, she's just as sad about this as they are, that she's grieving the loss with them, that her cousin, their Rhaenyra's father, possessed a kind heart, which is true. And he sort of she sort of seemed to warm to him significantly in the last couple days of his <laughs> of his reign as he showed her that he values her opinion and everything during the question of succession of Driftmark and she steps closer to Rhaenyra adding there's more Aegon has been crowned as his successor and instantly Rhaenyra turns and oh winces in pain as the shock induces the miscarriage and this is bonkers just like the craziness of everything that's going on she's pregnant the throne has been stolen Aegon's been you know been crowned Corlys is up in the air this is just a crazy situation. There's so much going on and so much yeah. at stake. She's literally just been told five seconds ago that her dad has died, who she just saw. And obviously she knows he's in very bad health and, and ailing. But your father's dead. I'm sorry. I know. I know. You know, and Rainey's tries to soften the blow with, you know, he was kind. And he had a good heart. But wait, there's more. Uh, yeah. The Greens have totally usurped the throne. And that just the first like. Rainey's, or I'm sorry, Rainier can't even really react. Like she has a look on her face for a split second, and then immediately it's like labor um, pains begin. Yeah. And like you said, just the shock of the situation with, I mean, it's a, a one-two punch, her dad dying, and they've 
crowned Aegon already. It's not like they got news that dad died a day ago and now a day later they're getting news that Aegon is crowned because of what Allison and Otto did and how they controlled the flow of information for a little while. Like it's done. It's over. Aegon has already been crowned in front of the masses. Mm -hmm. And she's, she's like, they crowned him. You know, she emphasizes him, like instead of me and Damon is still thinking about Viserys and he's like, how, how did Viserys die? And, Rhaenys doesn't know because she was held captive, made a prisoner in her mm -hmm. quarters, as she says. So she says, she tells him, I could not say. And a day, perhaps two ago. And immediately Damon's like, Viserys has been slain. But <laughs> like, I don't know if I would have jumped to that same conclusion. Oh, man. Considering the state straight, that we saw. He, him man, in. he's like a, he's an Olympic long jumper. <laughs> Jumping straight to the conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they killed him. They killed my brother. And immediately now, R Rhaenyra is starting oh. to get worried. Allison demanded you declare for Aegon, and Rhaenys is like, she did. And Rhaenyra looks hurt by this, and she's and uh, it's funny because Rhaenys almost looks surprised that Rhaenyra would think that she may have agreed to declare for Aegon. Rhaenyra, Rhaenys kind of cocks her head a little bit, and she's like, I refused her. You know, <laughs> like I'm with you. We, we I thought I made that clear a couple days ago, and uh, so Damon is skeptical. Like, and yet you're still alive somehow. And I was thinking, yeah, like, immediate. oh my god, like you wouldn't believe her even if she told you how she survived. You know, because yeah, like, oh, I stuck into the dragon pit. I busted up through the floors, killed a bunch of peasants. Even before that, I escaped the Red Keep, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> Kingsguard. Because Eric, uh, e. Eric hasn't shown up yet with yeah. the crown. So, you know, he would lend, you know, credence to her story. Yeah, this Kingsguard let me go. And then we got separated in the city and I yeah. busted up out of there with Maylis. Not I, only would she have had to escape the Red Keep, which was on lockdown, she would have had to snuck to her dragon in the dragon pit while the ceremony was going on, which seems doubly unlikely. And, yep. and everything so the like she doesn't bother going through the whole uh thing yeah. she just continues because she's like they're not gonna believe me so she just continues it sounds them. like a tall tale <laughs> yeah it sounds like bullshit. only the truth only the truth could be that crazy yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and damon i mean damon is so suspicious now like of rainies of everything they've killed you've killed my brother prepare to die yeah uh, he is straight <laughs> yeah. damon is straight inigo montoya and totally. at one point he goes like straight to his sword here like he's either he grabs it or he's already has it in his hand and he's doing the classic, you know, Damon hand on the hilt, you know, the classic Damon pose. He does that several times in this episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's ready to go to war immediately. He's just ready. And Rhaenyra knows it, too, as we find out shortly. Uh, but she tells him it's not only was he crowned, but it was the high septon and in front of the masses. And as as soon as she mentions Aegon being crowned again, Rhaenyra has another wince of pain. Um, from her belly and you know that nothing good is going to come from that and uh, she says Renee says she witnessed it herself just before she fled on Maylis so yeah so Rhaenyra says they crowned him before the masses and like Rhaenys picks up the sentence right as Rhaenyra kind of trails off and kind of finishes the thought giving the reasoning behind why they crowned him before the masses and yeah Rhaenys says so that the masses would see him as their rightful king so at this point, Damon is big mad and his head is leaned forward and his face is kind of twisted. And he's like, that whore of a queen murdered my brother and stole his throne. And you could have burned them all for it. Burn them all. Burn them all. Burn them all. Where's my sister? 
Yeah, and uh, a war is likely to be f- likely to be fought over this treachery for sure. Rainey says, and uh, Damon it is classic. Mm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Damon wanted her to burn them all. Right. Had the chance to end it. Yeah, and so she says to uh, in response that. But, but that war is not mine to begin. And I'm thinking, why not? Viserys was your cousin. They're usurping his will, circumventing your blood's throne. How is this not your war? You know, it's at least partially your, your war, right? Especially considering they may have killed him. Yeah. And as soon as Corliss shows up and declares for, you know, Rhaenyra and the Blacks, may, uh, Rainey's is like, okay, I'll hop on Maylis and we'll go patrol the gullet. Well, this is the interesting thing. She she's playing it, playing it um, very guarded here, symbolized by yep. her, her yep. armor, you know. And she she says, "I only rushed this warning to you out of loyalty to my husband and to my house." So that tells me that it's her loyalty to her husband that's explaining why she uh, she doesn't kneel. For instance, when Rhaenyra is crowned, she's the only person that's kneeling. She just has to wait to get the official go-ahead from Corliss because Corliss is the head of Driftmark. Uh, uh, you know, so um, she wants to join Rhaenyra, but she just can't yet. And so she's playing yeah. it cool, playing it close to the to the vest. And because Corliss still doesn't know about Vaymond mm-hmm. and Damon and what happened, he he hasn't heard Rhaenyra's denial of being involved in Lenor's death the way that Rainey's heard it from Rhaenyra's own lip and swore yep. it uh, that she wasn't involved in his murder. Um, she was involved in the cover-up uh, or of his fake murder. Anyway, we talked yeah. about that. So she just can't commit before Corliss does. Like Right. Corliss, you know, there's a Corliss needs to know a lot. It needs to be filled in on a lot of uh, information and goings on before he can make the decision to Team Black or Team Green, or when he first wakes up, or like Team Driftmark, peace. We're going to retire in Driftmark, and y'all have at it. Team Switzerland. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. So crazy. So Renice uh, further tells Rhaenyra here that the greens are coming for you, Rhaenyra, and for your children. And this moment is foreshadowing, ah, you know, which I didn't pick up on at the time. Yeah. The greens are coming for you, Rhaenyra, and for your children. Should leave Dragonstone at once. But there's a, a brief, just micro expression of panic on Rhaenyra's face. That's not enough to be obvious to everybody around her, but enough to see on camera in this close-up shot because she's got to keep her cool, you know, as the new leader, basically, and she can't freak out. Freak out, man. But uh, she, I thought this was really great acting in this moment with just a subtle facial expression showing her panic at the thought of her children being in danger. Um, and Renice tells her, you should leave Dragonstone at once. Like, you got to get the hell out of here. <laughs> so, so ominous. Yeah, very ominous. And at this point, Rhaenys starts walking away. And that's when Rhaenyra doubles over onto the table. 
and reaches down under her dress and pulls out her hand covered in blood. And she says, the babe is coming. And it's like, oh, God, this is not good. You know, this is going to be bad. Very bad. Bad omen. Yeah, we don't know how bad. Like Emma Aaron, you know, for C-section bad. Yeah. Um, Lena, who just the child won't come out bad. Yeah. Or something else. You know, at this point, as the audience, we're like, oh, no, is Rainier going to die in child in childbed? right here before, before she's crowned. Yeah, the first battle of the war is the battle in the birthing bed. <laughs> you know, like... The, just, yeah, just like her mom told her in episode one. Yep, just like her mom told her. And uh, so she's got to win this battle before she can even step onto the playing field. And then the rest of the team is waiting for their captain, you know. So they, she needs to get on the field at once. And her body seems to instinctively be be saying like, you know... This it, the time is now. It's got to come out. Uh, like we don't have any options, and so it cuts to the next scene with Rhaenyra pacing in a nightgown. She looks like some specter haunting the castle. You know, like from from uh, the haunting of Bly Manor, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the woman walking through the house at, in the night in her sleeping gown, and the maester is telling somebody this is her term is just far from complete this should not be happening and Rhaenyra lashes out it is fucking happening <laughs> like lund like lurches up to the dude's face basically <laughs> viciously and the midwife is like keep your head about you calm down you know she's like fuming and she starts pacing around again and she's like rubbing herself and like trying to make this happen but you can tell something is wrong because as Elinda, one of the midwives, says, we've done this five times before, and clearly things are different this time. And she, they're trying to help her, and she's telling him, get off, get off, get off. And I feel like the, her refusing to accept help is sort of symbolic of how uh, she's like got to make the decisions herself for this war. And she's the one in charge, and she's got to handle it herself. You know, and she's got to rein in Damon and everything. I feel like her handling this birthing situation alone uh, and by herself sort of symbolizes how she feels uh, in regards to the whole overall situation. And she clearly knows that something is wrong this time. And it uh, it cuts to Damon who's saying that he wants, he's, he's in pure, he's in war mode and business mode. I want patrols along the island's perimeter. Look for any small ships. If the greens attack now, it'll be by stealth. They may try to land in secret, you know, and then, um, they won't attack directly. And in the background, as Damon is like, giving orders, you can hear Rhaenyra groaning. And it, this is bad, but it kind of reminded me of Mustafa and, <laughs> in Austin Powers. Let this be a reminder to you all that this organization will not tolerate failure. <laughs> Gentlemen, let's get down to business. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the, oh man, I can't recover from that. The, um, <laughs> when he's talking about a small ship, that made me think of uh, Davos and Melisandre. Yeah. Um, in that little rowboat, in the little rowboat to, um, come, well, they left Dragonstone and went to wherever Rinley is at uh, in the Riverlands or the Reach somewhere. 
after that little tournament where Brienne witnesses his death, Davos and Melisandre take a little rowboat, a tiny little rowboat close to wherever they were at Rinley and his host was at to, you know, Melisandre to birth the shadow baby, whatever thing of Stannis that went and killed Rinley. So there's, you get a couple of people in a little rowboat with some magic involved and you don't know what might happen. So they're trying to prevent any kind of stealth incursion. We've seen all kinds of crazy births in this show. Dead, you know, dead mothers, dead kids, dragon babies. Like I think we see in this episode, demon babies, uh, babies that won't come out, you know, and get roasted by dragons. This is, yeah, this, there's a lot of births in this or or attempted births. Craziness. Crazy. I forgot about that shadow baby. That was so cool. And uh, yeah, Rhaenyra is just wailing audibly in the background as Damon is making all these defensive uh, calls. Um, he's saying we don't have enough men to surround the island, but we can appear to we can make ourselves appear stronger than than we actually are. Uh, and he says to conscript the dragon keepers. They're capable fighters. So that's an interesting little thing there. I wonder if that would might come into play in the future. It's got to, right? Chekhov's dragon keepers. <laughs> they're going to have to yeah, do something maybe. cool. Maybe, yeah. Even if they're just lookout. So then it cuts down to the beach, and we have Jace and Luke sword fighting. And Jace is being pretty brutal. He's beating the hell out of him, slapping him with the broadside of the sword, knocking him down. He's Kristen Coling, Luke. <laughs> yeah, and even the that's how uh, Kristen trained the two strong boys. Yeah, totally, vastly out number outmanned, and even the the Kingsguard watching is like, uh, you might want to go easier on him, like so we can actually learn what you're trying to teach him because this is pretty brutal. Jace is significantly more formidable at this point than Luke is, and uh, considering how the episode ends. And this being one of their last major interactions together, I'm wondering if he's going to have regrets in the future about how he, how harsh he was with Luke. You know, he's like, what the hell was that? Like verbally pushing him down as well as physically. And so Renice shows up and she's like, your lady mother needs to see, see you, both of you. And then it cuts back to the inside as Rhaenyra is attempting to deliver the baby and Jace and Luke are just kind of watching in horror. And uh, Rhaenyra's like, fuck. <laughs> and Maester Gerardus lets her know that they're there. And um, she just goes like straight into business mode again. Like uh, she's remo- remarkably focused and articulate in this scene, considering the situation that she's in. And she's explaining the issues of the throne um, and I'm, I was curious, like how she's going straight to that and not explaining what's going on with the baby. But I guess it's pretty self-explanatory. So she doesn't really need to, <laughs> to explain that part to them. But yeah, she's just telling them Viserys is dead and she articulate, even in this circum- circumstance, the Greens have repudiated the succession. <laughs> Repudi- repudiated. That's a five syllable word while she's in like a six or like a nine of pain, you know. And <laughs> so... They're asking her what's to be done. Like, what are we going to do about this? And she's telling them nothing yet. We're going to, you know, nothing yet. And so they ask where Damon is. And she's like, I don't know, gone to madness, gone to plot his war. And she's frustrated with him already. Yeah. Jace, you know, just, just tells his mom, like, leave Damon to me. Like, you know, <laughs> Jace thinks he's, 
big stuff. And it's like, like nobody, not even Rhaenyra, not even Viserys, you know, could handle Damon, but Jace thinks he can. Yeah, nobody handles Damon. Um, so as as the boys turn to go up the stairs, there was I think there's a small little editing error. Oh, really? Jace is first. He's like, leave Damon to me. And he kind of turns and goes up the stairs. And then Luke is behind him. And then the camera goes back to Rhaenyra and says, Rhaenyra says, Jace. I know she says, Jacerius. And she, she said it an interest. I always say Jacerius. But she said, Jacerius. Like serious at the end. Oh, she did? Like just, yeah, she said, just serious. And she has an English accent that I, I won't try to do. Um, <laughs> and then it goes back to him. And Luke is like leaving up the stairwell to the left. And now Jace is behind and he turns and talks to his mother. Jace. Just serious. Hmm. So just More like literally a second era. ago. I mean, it could have been, I mean, the editors could say, oh, well, Luke passed him on the stairs and Jace was left behind. But I mean, it was a, it was a really quick transition from the boys going up the stairs to Rhaenyra back to the boys. They've switched positions. But anyway, it's obviously not a big deal. But um, (laughs) she tells Jace that, I mean, it's obvious, but like Viserys is gone. So she is the queen. She don't have a crown yet, but if Viserys is dead, Rhaenyra is the queen, and so she's now, Jace is in her former position as the named heir. You are it. If something happens to me, you're the man. You're the man of the house. I mean, there's Damon there, but anyway. Um, whatever claim remains to me, she tells Jace, you are now its heir. And then she reemphasizes to him that nothing is to be done without Rhaenyra's command, which Jace tries to carry out, but obviously Damon is not going to be uh, <laughs> reined in by anybody. I like the word "not." Also, "not" is to be not. done mm-hmm. by, by my command, and they sort of Absolutely. nod at one and each and at one another in a like a, a moment of understanding, where Jace is realizing how important the situation is. And so now it cuts back to the war room meeting. And interestingly, we're introduced to Bartimos Celtigar. Yeah. Celtigar. Crabs in the chat. Crabs in the chat. Crabs in the show. Crabs in the chat. We got the Celtigars. So I think, like, obviously, Elsif X has been talking about it, but I think we talked about it on one episode. We did, yeah. They, Vaymond especially, and some of the Targaryens have talked repeatedly about blood of old Valyria, and they're the last, you know, two houses, the last vestiges. The last pillars of Valyria, as Viserys put it. The last pillars of old Valyria. They continually said this, but we were like, okay, so they're just writing House Keltigar out of the show. And it's like, nope, here they are, finally, in episode 10. <laughs> Oh, so you're not the last pillars. <laughs> like maybe they did some last minute casting after week one and people are like, where's House Kiltigar? And uh, they threw in Lord Kiltigar just in this scene. Uh, he's probably in it the whole time, but we were just wondering why they have talked about it. Yeah, people had been speculating that House Kiltigar just didn't exist in TV canon since they're always talking about how Targaryen and Valerion are the two <laughs> last remaining pillars of Valyria. So apparently maybe Celtigar or Celtigar is just weaker and not considered 
big and big and powerful enough to be a pillar. Maybe they're just like the plinth of old Valyria or something. Yeah. <laughs> or something. yeah. They're definitely way less powerful than the Valerians and Targaryens. For sure. And so we learn that a raven's come in and that the sea snake's fever has broken. Woo! He's on the mend. Woo! That's really good news. And he's left even fall. <laughs> and <laughs> someone asks, where is he sailing? Do you remember where Evenfall is? Three days away from King's Landing. <laughs> Tarth! Oh! Brienne's home. Evenfall is the seat of the island of Tarth, but Evenfall is like the castle or the right. fortress. Right, that's cool. The Sapphire Isle. So we got Kiltigar in the chat and Tarth in the chat. Hell yeah. And so, <laughs> and so uh, we don't know where Corliss is sailing to at this point, but it's decided that they're going to send ravens to our, their closest allies, house Lords of Darklin, Massey, and Bar Emin, which is an interesting name, Bar Emin. Yeah. And in the background, Rhaenyra is still, oh, and she goes, Damon, and tries to call Damon, and he ignores her. We've got a lot of work to do. Someone help me. I'm still alive, only I'm very badly burned. And he's totally focused on preparing for war. He must think that it just can't be delayed. And, uh, you know, it's like he's not a person to be handling the emotional situations. He needs to be handed, handling, uh, like, the, the planning and the plotting. And uh, interestingly, uh, the guy, uh, the, the Marbrand, the Kingsguard here, uh-huh. uh, what's his first name? Laurent, Sir Laurent. Laurent Marbrand. Marbrand. He's kind of disturbed by the, this, that Damon is ignoring Rhaenyra. And he says, do, do you want to speak to the maester, my prince? And uh, Damon kind of like turns and shoots him a look like, are you going to, are you questioning my will? We'll send ravens to our nearest allies, Lords Darkling, Massey, and Bar Emon. Do you want to speak to the maester, my prince? And Lauren yeah. turns to face forward again, like... Yeah, Damon just scowls at him. He don't say anything. Made. Made, he scowls at him, and then Marbrand's like, okay, I won't bring that up again. And yeah. Damon just continues straight on with his plan. I'll go to the Riverlands and uh, talk with Lord Tully. Yeah, and it seems like uh, Marbrand doesn't like Damon's answer here, so this it could be important for the dynamic of who the Kingsguard are loyal to. Uh, I think this this little... Action here by Laurent questioning Damon is going to play into the moment we see in a minute where he's going to question them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you said, put them to the question. And so uh, we learn he, he's going to fly to the Riverlands himself and affirm Lord Tully's support, which is pretty, pretty badass. Um, yeah, I but can see how... I I can see how Caraxes would be a very persuasive. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Very persuasive. We find that out shortly, too. So Jace walks in at this moment and he's like, you will do no such thing. My mother has decreed no action be taken while she's abed. And Damon is just like, oh, you think you're going to boss me around? It's good you're here, young prince, you know, and kind of sassily says that. And uh, you're needed to patrol the skies on Vermax. Like, shoo, shoo, let the men handle this. <laughs> you go go on patrol. He is, is interesting. A few of the dragon pronunciations were, I'm sorry, the dragon name pronunciations were interesting. He says Vermax, like V-E-E-R. It's good you're here, young prince. 
You're needed to patrol the skies on Veermax. Did you hear what I said? Mm. Veer. Veermax. Well, was, it's it's V E R M A X. So I would say Vermax. Mm. But Damon says Veermax. Or in German, Vermax. <laughs> like Wehrmacht. Wehrmacht and Flaggen, Luggen, Snaggen. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, Jace is like, did you hear what I said? And Damon just like straight up ignores him and <laughs> commands Bartimos to send the ravens. And he's like, uh, Bartimos seems like kind of caught in between uh, a rock uh, and a hard place. And so he's like, I, I'll, sh- I'll see it done, my lord, you know. And, and uh, he... Damon just keeps barking orders, summon Sir Stefan, our Kingsguard are needed in the Dragonmont. And this is, you know, where we're going to learn who the, where their loyalty really lies. And so he instructs Jace to come with him to learn the true meaning of loyalty. You want to talk about this part? Mm-hmm. Um, we get these... Co- or, no, this isn't where... I was thinking where this is where we see a few shots of the just the guys standing on the rocks, but that's uh, at the funeral yeah, yeah. Uh, at the cremation that turns into the coronation. <laughs> um, we just get Damon, you know, standing on the side of the mountain and uh, Jace kind of off to the side. And then below Damon are the two Kings guards, Stephen, Sir Stephen Darkland and Sir Laurent Marbrand. And it's just them standing on the mountain and Dragonstone, the castle was kind of out in the distance and the Dragonmont is behind, sort of behind Damon, like they're on it and it kind of continues up behind Damon. So sketchy. He yeah, is like, oh, what is going on right Very here? Very ominous. Um, he tells, uh, Damon tells the Kingsguard, you swore knights as the Kingsguard. And they say, you know, of course, uh, everybody who wears the white cloak has to. And obviously we see what Damon's getting at. To whom? Who did you swear your oath to? And Sir Stefan's been around for a hot minute. And he says, well, at first uh, I swore to uh, Jeh- King Jaehaerys uh, and then to his grace Viserys in a, a, when he took the took over the throne. Um, and Marbrand seems younger. So I assume Viserys has been on the throne for a good long while. So I assume Marbrand swore his oaths to Viserys. And he asked him, you know, do you acknowledge the true line of succession? And uh, they, you know, he say yes. Uh, and then Damon hits him with another question. Do you recall who King Viserys named as his heir before his death? And they say Princess Rhaenyra uh, is here. OK, we still don't get Caraxes. We hear him uh, like we do a lot with the dragons, Vagar and the other ones. We hear them before we ever see them a lot of times. Um, I'm trying to remember when Danny snuck up on us. Yeah, I think in the Battle of the Gold Road, the Dothraki came. They come charging down the hill on horseback, and then Jamie and the Lannister army, they hear Drogon. We can hold them off. But anyway, Damon, th- he says, I'm, I'm grateful for your long service to the crown, which sounds like you're relieved which would mean their death. I, I thought he was going to kill him like he, cause he didn't trust him uh, when he said, I'm grateful for your long service to the crown. Right. Meaning it's at an end. Yeah. Uh, but then, he, then he says, I'm presenting you with a choice. And then we get the classic, you know, the screechy nasally, totally Whistling different sound kind of Caraxes. So I'm presenting you with a choice. Yeah. You know, the blood were a mile away. Yeah, we, he doesn't sound like any of the other dragons. Mm. 
So we see Corexi's head and neck kind of come over the rocks and his arms and his wings. He's kind of stepping down. And as he continues to move down towards closer to the daemon and closer to the knight to the king's guard, we see his body just continue to kind of come from behind the rock. I'm like, how long is the blood worm? And then his two back legs kind of go whoop and kind of hop down, which was just, it was really cool. But as he moves different, then he sold his body is so elongated. Got a body like a French horn. Differently than he does. Or a tuba. He moves differently than the other dragons. It's pretty cool. When he's flying and when he's moving on the ground like this. Yeah. And so interestingly, like Rhaenyra tried to summon Damon before, but I think that in Damon's mind, this stuff needs to be handled immediately. And so it seems disrespectful and callous for him to be doing this, but he needs to make sure that these Kingsguard are on point and on team black before anything yeah. else is done, before they have a chance to sabotage. So it's, he's kind of caught in between a rock and a hard place here. Yeah, he, he really is. And, you know, there are things that need to be done, but, and it's one thing to let your wife go to the birthing bed and handle it. But when she starts yelling and screaming your name, um, he should probably go. But obviously Damon being Damon, you know, he, he has other business that he chooses to attend to. And it is important. Like we said before, nobody handles Damon. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, no but not even a wife that's in, in the middle of labor pains. Yeah, brutal. He feels like this must be done, it seems. Yeah, he absolutely does because, yeah, uh, a ter- uh, double agent Kingsguard would be horrific. An 11 on the danger scale. Yeah, it could result in all of their deaths uh, very quickly. But so Corexes kind of sets himself right there beside Damon, and we get some cool shots of Damon in the foreground and Corexes' head. You know, yeah. you know Corexes screams and yells at, at let's see, yell, roars at him and gets <laughs> close to him. And uh, Damon says, Swear anew your oath to Rhaenyra as your queen and to Prince Jaceris as heir to the Iron Throne. And, um, we get more Caraxes action here. He's he's moving and just being super, super intimidating. Worth noting um, that he kind of just appears without being commanded. Also, exactly. like another example of that mental bond kind of potentially. Yeah, that yeah, he shows up. There's no he doesn't say Damon doesn't give the command. Caraxes come. He just shows up. Right on cue. Right on cue. It's like I'm presenting you with a choice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really cool. Uh, and it, or if he he kind of gives them, you know, so that was the carrot, and now Damon gives them the stick. Or if you support their usurper, speak it now, and at least you'll have a clean, honorable death. If you choose treachery and swear fealty now, only to be a turncloak later on, you will die screaming. Know that you will die screaming. Damon is so frightening in this moment. He's awesome. And he is. You can tell he is absolutely. He means it with every ounce of himself. He means it. Like he personally, he, because we see what he did with just random uh, commoners and thieves and rapists in episode one at the City Watch. Like yeah. he will do it himself. And he will he, love ensure, it. Yeah, ensure that you, you die screaming. Yeah. And uh, it's a good thing that Damon seems to be able to control his dragon better than Amond or Luceris. Because otherwise, these two valuable Kingsguard may have just been roasted unnecessarily. And uh, speaking of the danger of a Kingsguard turncloak, Jamie Lannister, the Mad King, yep. you know, at the King's side and just is able to, you can't have it. 
can't allow that. Super sketchy for the Kingsguard to be the son of a conquering lord. Yeah. And I mean, Tywin, Tywin sort of did, you know, waited and waited and waited to declare in Robert's Rebellion. Because obviously he had served Ares a long time as hand. Ares had trusted him and then fired him and then I think hired him again. And there was rumors about Ares and Joanna Lannister and thus the yeah. parentage of, of the twins and whatnot. And Tyrion. They, um, and You're t- no right, right, son right. of mine. Ah, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but, so sort of like Corliss and Rhaenys were sort of a little bit waiting to see what happens. Lannister, Tywin Lannister definitely did that. But in the end, Lannister's army gets to King's Landing before the start. And Baratheon armies get there from the green, from the, the, what's the river? I know it's the green fort, but the, all three of the them. The trident. The trident. Um, right, from slaying Rhaegar. And the Stark and, and Baratheon host, you know, rushed to King's Landing, but Tywin had gotten there first. And Jamie knows that it's his father's army at the door. So what is he going to do? Yeah. And we find out later in the series that Ares is telling Jamie, burn them all, burn burn them all. It's like revealed. Jamie's like, that was so nuts dude in the hot tub. Crazy. It's like Jamie's choices are to set King's landing ablaze with wildfire or kill a crazy King. Who's already about to be deposed by, you know, a conquering host. So yeah, Jamie did what he did. Burn King's landing, but burn your father, you know, like (laughs) his dad's out there. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, And the whole army out there. Yep. Absolutely. So, and I mean, those were, all the Westermen that he grew up with and he knows their lords and knights and squires and like thus literally his brothers and cousins and everybody that he knows uh, is in that, um, you know, host with Tywin that would have gotten burned up too. Mm -hmm. So at this point it cuts back to the birthing scene and the, the maidens, the handmaidens are begging the princess to let them help her, but she's, you know, screaming, no, no get out and uh she's they're begging her to help she's telling her she shouldn't do it alone but she refuses and uh it's at this point where she kind of leans on her knees and squeezes and a big gout of blood and you know like placenta or something comes out and just the uh, fluid yeah just splashes all over and it's not long after that that she manages to squeeze out the babe which kind of sloughs out and it seems like she grabs it in her hands, but then she kind of like freaks out and like drops her a little bit and she lands on the ground and isn't moving. And, um, it's so so sad. sad. Gosh. I mean, to have, you know, thank goodness that, you know, I didn't, uh, all of our pregnancies and births were, you know, no problems, no complications. Very thankful for that, but it's still a scary situation with a good heartbeat and everything normal. So to go through this situation and to deliver a stillborn baby would just be, I mean, so incredibly painful and just heartbreaking and not to mention all the other things going on in Rhaenyra's life with the, the realm and the crown and the her family. Father being dead, the crown being stolen. Yeah, her family, you know, Aegon and Aemond and Helena are her stepbrothers and sister. And they have stolen her crown from her, you know, obviously, and, and my, I agree with her. Uh, they, they've stolen her crown and usurped the throne. So, but to be dealing with, you know, a complicated birth situation that's, she doesn't look that big you know, as far as pregnancy wise. We've only seen her in these fancy kind of dresses, but I, I don't think there's any way she, I don't, I don't think she would even be six months pregnant. Yeah, probably um, not. 
I mean, maybe four or five. That's what I was thinking too, like five maybe. I mean, she's showing, but so, but still very, very premature, even by in today's medical environment, you know, mm-hmm. it takes a lot, you know, for a baby that young to survive, you know, if it's, if it's not stillborn. Yeah, the odds um, are against the baby but, for sure. Yeah. But back in ancient history, like there's um, zero yeah. chance, even if it was born alive to, Death for a baby this young to, to be, but I was, I mean, just super hyper-realistic like they did with the sound. In oh yeah, episode the first scene where she's given six birth. or seven, six. Like we get the visual realization of <laughs> that sound, and it like it was a struggle to get through a rewatch. I didn't fast forward it, but it was like that. I mean, but that's like what that little baby looks like. That is what a baby looks like when it comes out of the womb. I mean, it's it's drenched. It's not all clean and perfect you know like it is a few minutes later although and, i don't think whew. every baby looks like this because i paused and zoomed and looked and this baby looks scaly to me it looks like there are sections of patches of scaly skin on its back and um so in in the books doesn't Rhaenyra give birth to a like a dragon baby kind of like daenerys does visenya Right. Yeah. I think according to mush, according to mushroom, um, or it may be one of the, one of the maesters that, that say that I'm not sure, but I, I mean, I, I, I saw that and it very well could be, I don't, you know, it, the hair, the head part looks like just matted hair. Mm-hmm. It's but on, on the, the back, back that run right on the baby's back. It wouldn't really make sense. So, I mean, it could have been the, as the baby came out, the handmaidens and midwives sort of kind of, are shocked and horror. And I thought that to me, they were, because it was stillborn. It wasn't breathing. It wasn't moving. And they were just horrified that the baby, you know, had died. Yeah. I think it's more and it was than stillborn. That. And it may be more than that. Oh, it's, it's, it's bad. It's a really bad situation there. The, even the elder of the midwives turns away. Like this seems like something that sh- they've never seen before. And cause they, they should be hardened to this potential you know uh, considering so many births go badly um so i really i think that i think it it was scaly and all screwed up and um she kind of picks up the baby and cradles it and it cuts to damon then arriving and all the sound is gone from the scene and it's just mournful music and damon stops at the doorway and hangs his head and she's just sitting alone cradling the baby and, uh, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, man, Damon returns to find the, this bad situation. He wasn't there for her when she needed him, when she called for him to help her get through this. And so I'm thinking that it could be this could come back to bite him in the future. Potentially, he might need her and maybe she won't be there for him or something. So this is all a very bad omen, I'm thinking. And. Rhaenyra next is doing the work of wrapping the child up for the funeral for cremation herself while the silent sisters are all standing by around with their with their (laughs) flags on poles on their back and uh so not only is this a bad omen to start off the battle but in addition to that we were specifically told that it's ill luck to look upon the face of of death when Renice was watching Vaman's body being prepared a couple episodes ago, or was that last episode? Mm-hmm. God damn. No, two episodes ago. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is a double dose of bad luck here. She's looking upon the face of death herself, but it's also symbolizing how she's got to take on all of this burden herself and do, and the way that she's viewing the situation, she's got to do everything. She's got to be the one. Remember she t- when talking with Luceris, she said that she had to earn her position and earn her air, her airhood. She's earning it and she's, she's doing everything herself. And I think it's symbolizing how she feels like she needs to earn the respect of her bannermen and of people by being the one to do stuff herself and proving that, that she's, she may be a woman, you know, but she is worthy of the role. And so her taking on this herself and doing it herself is another way of symbolizing that in my mind. And uh, while she's doing this, Damon is alone on the beach with his own moment of sorrow, kind of hanging over his sword leaning, tilting his head and dealing with sorrow in his own way. And they're separated again. Yeah. Back at right before Rhaenyra uh, delivered uh, baby Visenya, we were getting these flashes of Cyrax. Oh yeah. How just did like just that? a millisecond, just that, you know, he's like screaming ah. or, or growling and, and then we'd go back to Rhaenyra screaming, you know, in labor. And we got maybe three or four of those flashes. So I think that's just more of, you know, the showrunners and, and George sort of explaining that there really is this deep, not just psychic, but this like interpersonal interspecies emotional heart connection between dragon and dragon rider. Pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah. Pretty, pretty epic. And, uh, Cyrax seems to be in anguish herself, you know, mirroring Rhaenyra's anguish. And it's remindful of the moment when Damon is shot with the arrow at the Battle of the Stepstones, and Caraxes screeches in pain. Immediately, yeah. yeah. And it's like Cyrax is feeling Rhaenyra's pain, not only physically, but emotionally, uh, it seems I to me. I think one of the producers or somebody in, in after the episode or somewhere, they the way they put it was that Rhaenyra was at war with her own body. Yeah. Um, before the war itself can start, she immediately goes into labor when she learns that they put Aegon on the throne so crazy. and she's trying to get the baby out, even though it's not time, but she knows something's wrong. So, she, you know, her maternal instinct, you know, is to let her, her, the body, her body has gone into labor and to let her body continue and push through. She's pushing through that so that she can go to the next step of planning what to do next with Damon and her lords and counselors. So she's, you know, she's trying to get through this because she knows something's wrong and because she knows that she, she has a lot of other things, you know, that she has to get done. I mean, she can't fight a war. Mine you know, is eight, money. nine months pregnant, eight or nine months pregnant, you know, flying around on Cyrax, uh, roasting the green hosts, roasting the host, host roast. <laughs> toast to the roast. To toast. Host. <laughs> she, she, to- she roasts the green host to toast. Speaking of toasting. Next, we have the cremation scene. Oh, God, that was such a brutal transition. Uh, sorry. That's all I mean. What is wrong with you? Uh, so, yeah, cuts to the funeral pyre lit atop a craggy hillside, a hill at Dragonstone, and all the people uh, that are at the castle are in attendance dressed in black. And there are guards posted upon the rocks with spears around them, 
and Damon and Rhaenyra are standing alone by the pyre on like an altar type of thing um, as they cremate poor baby Visenya, the part dragon, as I'm calling it, <laughs> and uh, and as I think, and it it shows people in attendance, but the camera starts. It shows their three kids, Lucerus, Joffrey and Jacaris, but the camera starts to to pan and zoom in towards Lucerus specifically, another hint that he's going to be next, you know, unfortunately. And I didn't catch it the first time, but there's a lot of foreshadowing that Lucerus is in trouble throughout this episode. And Damon, you know, it cuts back to Damon and Rhaenyra and she's standing stoically as the fire burns before them and Damon is beside her and he turns to look at her and it seems like he's admiring her strength and poise in this difficult moment um, as he seems to be struggling with it himself and the frames flames are crackling and it's at this moment when there's a little bit of a commotion behind them as as who shows up <laughs> Eric with an E <laughs> yeah suck it screen crush uh, no, I'm just Got kidding. Got it wrong. Yeah, yeah, I love Screen Crush. Um, Ryan Airy, but you got this one wrong, Ryan. One in a million. <laughs> and so uh, Eric Cargill, the, the Kingsguard, starts walking up the slope and he's he's got a a, a man purse <laughs> strapped around him it's with mer- one strap. It's a purse. Yeah, purse on the side. Which he had. Which he had when he was spiriting Rainies oh. through the streets of King's Landing. Yeah, last good week. catch, good catch. It just took him so much longer to get here because he didn't have a dragon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, had to go. he his plan. He had to go through with his plan. Yeah, which was no plan. Finding a boat. Yeah. <laughs> go down to the harbor, find a boat. Let's go into Dragonstone. Not be. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> and his. Uh, Magneto helmet, white cloak, and all. Yeah. It's like, why is this random King's Landing guy, Kingsguard guy, sailing to Dragonstone? Hmm. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so he comes walking up through the crowd, and immediately, Laurent and the other Kingsguard guy, I can't remember his name, Stefan. Stefan Darklin and Laurent Marbrand. Marbrand. They whoosh, both unsheathed their swords like in unison in synchronized, like synchronized dancers or swimmers or whatever, synchronized swimmers, right? Both the swords come out in a single ringing metal metallic sound. And Eric reassures them, I mean, no harm brothers. (laughs) And he removes his Magneto helmet. And it's at this point when he subjects his cranium to danger, <laughs> you know, that that the other two Kingsguard are like, hmm, okay, he means it. And they sheathe their swords and step aside, but Damon puts his hand on the pommel of his sword. I know. Like you that. mentioned before. And it's at, at this moment that Eric walks forward towards Damon only a couple paces before kneeling and placing his helmet on the ground. And as Rhaenyra turns to watch in curiosity he takes out king viserys's crown from his man purse and <laughs> holds it out in front of him and it's like one of the coolest moments yeah it was really awesome he um he has viserys and then viserys crown and he 
presents it. And Damon had kind of come down the hill a little bit. And so this is the second time that Damon, you know, picks up this crown and hands it, you know, to the rightful person, you know, first with Viserys, you know, yeah, two weeks ago um, as it fell off his head. And then now um, he turns around, you know, he looks at again, he kind of looks at it. He looks down at it like he did in the throne room. And it looks like he's in pain thinking of Viserys and seeing the crown. It like he looks like he's struggling in that moment. Yeah. And like now his brother is gone and he really could be if he really wanted to and to totally ruin his marriage and family and everything. He really could take it if he wanted it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. Because he's the most powerful person there. Right. Um, with the baddest sword there. Yeah. So, I mean, he'd have a fight, but anyway. Yeah. So but before he takes the crown, the uh, Eric swears a new oath. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, you know, he told him, yeah, he, okay. Um, he's holding so it. He presents it, you know, and Damon kind of takes it. And he, as he's yeah, holding it and presenting it to Damon and Rhaenyra, mm -hmm. you know, he, he uh, I swear toward the queen with all my strength, give my blood for hers. Take no wife, hold no lands, father no children, which is a lot like the Night's Watch oath that we, we got to learn so well uh, in the original series. Night's Watch oath, yeah. Made me think of it too. I shall guard her secrets, obey her commands, ride at her side, ride or die. Eric Cargill is my boy, ride or die, Team Black. <laughs> ride or die at her side and defend her name and honor. Then Damon, you know, again, you know, takes the crown, you know, looks at it, uh, turns around and uh, he, he kneel and presents it or he puts it on her head and then kneels. And then I kneels. Remember. I also loved how Eric just automatically goes into his oath. Like he knows what he's got to do. He knows he's got to swear an oath of loyalty. He doesn't have to be asked like, uh, <laughs> you know, Damon had to force yeah. the other two guys at Dragon Point, <laughs> you know, yeah. so awesome. Yeah, not at gunpoint, at Dragon Point. Yeah, yeah. Queen of the Seven Kingdoms. Woo! Yeah, and as he turns to face Rhaenyra to give her the crown, to place in her head that female chanting. Yeah. Huh? Uh huh? So that's, you know, as we go forward, I think that's kind of the Rhaenyra theme. Yeah, the Black Queen theme. That's what I was thinking, too. And Damon kneels as he, after he crowns her and says, My queen. And some really regal, royal, triumphant music plays. Yeah, it's really awesome. My queen. But it's still sort of like, it, it's not so, you know, the end of Lord of the Rings where they've defeated Sauron and they crown Aragorn. It's not super triumphant because yeah. they're still at this cremation. A dark so undertone. On the rewatch, yeah, on the rewatch, I was like, it's still the right mood for the situation. It, yes, it's triumphant and it's, it brings up everybody from, you know, the death of, of baby Visenya. But it was just, I mean, really just a perfect balance of yeah. triumph, but also this still this kind of darker undertone to the whole score is really yeah. great. Perfect analysis. Great, great articulation of that. And as she looks at Damon, who says, my queen, her eyes rise to the rest of the people in attendance and one by one, everybody starts kneeling, and we see the the the, the kids kneel, Joffrey and mm -hmm. Lucerys and Jace, and then Bela and Raina kneel, and everybody's kneeling. Guys with spears, except for the guys who are standing guard still on the perimeter. Yeah, they they keep their heads on the horizon, you know, you know, like taking a drink at a at a river. 
the people who keep their eyes on the horizon are the ones that exactly. <laughs> we want on duty um, yep. to make a Jack Carr reference. Woo, Jack Carr. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, except the only person who doesn't kneel is Rainies. Yeah. Cause she doesn't Rainies. have Corliss on board yet, but she's going to manipulate him to make it happen later and guilt trip him. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. When she didn't, I was like, are they going to have a show like a kneel or die showdown right here? I don't think so. I mean, it's like, it's one of those, like, Oh, she's family. She, she's cool. She's family. Yeah, but everybody she, else. You have to kneel. And she's still wearing her armor symbolizing how her, she's guarding her position at this moment. And uh, yeah, everybody else <laughs> except family. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. She's already proved she's not a threat because she could have, you know, sliced mm-hmm. down Rhaenyra when she was face to face with her before. Got to roll. Back at the map table. Ooh, and we see the inner workings of the map table. Um, somebody yeah. takes like a torch or some kind of, not brazier, but, you know, it's a torch basically, I guess. And lights all these candles and then slides these trays of candles underneath the map table. And it's, you know, piece, you know, section by section, it illuminates, you know, with this Dude. back. It's like a backlit. Uh, keyboard that uh, the whole painted table with uh, and a few times throughout the rest of the episode we we get kind of get a like a wide shot across the room we can see little candle little groups of candles sitting underneath like way below the cert like way down almost at the floor level which i don't think would be bright enough to light the table the way it's lit i mean obviously it's lit with hollywood you know lighting <laughs> movie <laughs> yeah, magic yeah, yeah. but but it seems like there had to be candles right like they show in this little section right below the surface, like slid in there. And the little it's, ones in the bottom may just add a little bit of light to it. I don't know. It was a really cool effect. Yeah, really cool. It's like, um, you know, like a fancy jack-o'-lantern design where you cut cut it just so that there's a, you, you take off the exterior oh. skin, but then you whittle down the, the meat. So it's just thin enough so that the light shines through it without cutting right, all like, the way through. So it seems yeah, like semi. they just cut that wood super thin for like the trenches and the stuff that lights up. Yeah. The rivers, the ocean, however they, whatever they decide, you know, the letters for Winterfell or, you know, that sort of stuff. Really cool. I love how they introduced it too, really as cool. they're grabbing boxes full of the war planning pieces that are going to go on the board. Uh, like, like it's a giant chess board. I saw them open a box and see the little figures in there. And I was like, Oh, those are for the map. <laughs> like, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah. And they've got like the high, t- the, like the flaming high tower. That was the most obvious one. Some of the ones that they set when they were talking about some of their allies, I couldn't really tell what the symbology was on the little piece. It just looked like a little chess piece with a little like flared. Yeah, I wasn't sure what that one was either. The gold piece. You'd think I would be, you know, it would be a dragon. Maybe it's an emissary. They're they're sending like a. Yeah, and a few, right. There was like when they were talking about Aaron, Stark, and Baratheon. I guess those are like the unknown, like question mark pieces. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. For we're sending emissaries. We're going to try to obviously win them to our side. But right now they're undeclared or undecided. Dude, the table looks so glorious. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, it, it really does. I loved that. All right. With that, we will end part one of our coverage of House of the Dragon, season one, episode 10, The Black Queen. I'll get part two out lickety split and we'll pick up right where we left off with more discussion about this epic war table and all the drama that unfolds after its grand reveal. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you soon.